Hey, do you feel like you're getting thrown around the healthcare system and are frustrated with the lack of clarity that you're getting from your providers? Do you feel like you're getting suboptimal care and that you deserve better? Do you want help busting some myths and deciphering what's good and bad information out there? If you'd like to be a part of a community that's connected with the best resources in the area and is taking small steps toward their health and fitness goals, then this podcast is for you. My name is Jeff Danning, and welcome to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. All right, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Seeking Wellness Podcast, Southeast Idaho edition. My name is Jeff Denning. I'm a doctor of physical therapy and a golf fitness professional. I'm here with a special guest today, Susanna Pipkin of Olive Branch Counseling. She is a licensed clinical social worker. She is a PhD student and candidate and kind of has a very cool niche in the counseling field. So Susanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. to talk about the things that I think are super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of other people will find them interesting too. Yeah. Um, especially since this is kind of a, a, a taboo topic, maybe that people yeah. are curious about, but don't know <laughs> what information is out there or what's good and whatnot. So um, Susanna, I like to start the podcast with a out-of-pocket question, usually unrelated to anything else we'll be talking about today, just so the the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So if you wouldn't mind, what what activities would you say make you just lose track of time? Um, are there any of your like really favorite hobbies or ways to spend time that you just kind of forget about everything else going on in the world? So I'm smiling to kind of laugh at myself a little bit. So um, it's, it's actually studying sex therapy. So that's really kind of funny to me that like, it's, you know, I do work and then I'm Still like, work I related. Yeah. Study. <laughs> I'm like, I gonna need to get out more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. yeah. How do you, how do you um, go about studying? Are you like a, a reader? Do you like watching videos, um, more interactive things? Yeah, I do all those things. So, so typically I'll have, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I'll say I'll have, you know, 12 tabs open and, and <laughs> I've got, you know, a podcast on YouTube of maybe someone I really respect or, um, or I'll be on Google scholar looking at, you know, what does the research say? And, yeah. and um, then I'll be on the, you know, I'm listening to the podcast and they'll bring up a book and I'll be like, Oh, and I have to pause that. And I have to go put the book on my wish list on Amazon. Yeah. And so I'm kind of multi, you know, doing a lot of things all at once, but, but then I just get really sucked into, you know, how can I just learn more and more? Um, I, I love the, um, I love learning and feeling like, ah, you know, that intellectual stimulation is important to me. And I also love going, yeah. okay, now I feel even more prepared uh, when someone comes in and says, I have a thing. I need help with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think that speaks a lot to just your dedication of the profession and, and kind of just being altruistic and wanting to help people being the best you can be. Right. So I, I, I feel the same. I could talk about PT for hours and and, and just learn about that. So that's awesome that you feel the same way. Uh, well, Susanna, let's uh, let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about your background in um, psychology and counseling and how you got into that and kind of where we're at today with sex therapy and your own business. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So um, I was a stay at home parent for for quite a bit. And um, as my kids were growing up and moving out, um, I felt like it was a good time to, to work outside the home. And um, all throughout my life, I've been someone that um, I've just been fascinated to listen to people and to love people in that way. Um, and I just really enjoyed that. And so I was like, I've got to be a therapist. Um, and so I went back to school as, a, as an older, non-traditional student. Um, and as part of that, I decided to, to just read up on, you know, what other therapists had, had written, you know, what their books were. And I read a book called, and they were not ashamed by Laura Brotherson. She practices in Provo. And um, okay. she's fairly well known in my religious community. Wow. And, and it was, I was reading her book. I was like, oh, my gosh. I have to do this too. I have to be a, I have to be a sex therapist. Um, <laughs> she really inspired you. She truly inspired me. And I, I just thought, yep, that's what I got to do. And so then I decided to um, complete my, my undergrad in social work 
then to find a clinical social work program um, that I that I started the month after graduation um, wow. with my bachelor's. Yep. And then I thought, well, I'm just getting started. I'm not satisfied um, with this level of knowledge. Where can I get a PhD? Um, wow. And so I spent a lot of time saying, you know, would it, where, what would it take? Moving, you know, selling the house, doing all the things. And I found a PhD in clinical sexology um, out of Florida. And that meant I didn't have to sell the house and move my kiddos and things like that. And so um, that really meets my need um, where we're meeting, you know, over Zoom. And so there's a lot of interaction there um, and and then working on the research study. Yeah. So what is your um, what are you researching for your your thesis? Yeah. So I'm going to be interviewing psychotherapists of my faith tradition, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and asking them like, okay, is there any counter-transference or, or transference? So that's a therapist word that just means when a client comes in and they're talking about sex, do you have any kind of reaction to that? Um, and um, what are your client's sexual concerns? Uh-huh. And where do you turn when you don't, you know, when you don't know how to help, um, you know, who do you trust and what, you know, just, just what are the sexual needs of your clients um, and how does the religious belief kind of impact, you know, your treatment. Um, and so wow. I'm hoping to, to do some interviews. I'm hoping for maybe 20. Um, yeah, wow. we'll, see. we'll see. I've submitted my proposal to the IRB and now I I'm waiting for them to get back and say that I have uh, approval to, to do that and collect data. So. Very exciting. Well, I hope that gets expedited. Sometimes, as we know, federal government things can take <laughs> a very long time to get processed. Yeah, that's uh, that's great, though. I, I love that. I, would, I hope I can gain some uh, some knowledge or follow up with you in the future and, yes. and see what you kind of conclude yes. from all that. Be happy to share. And I'm hoping to publish it. You know, that's one of the yeah. things on my bucket list. I want to publish the study I did in, with my master's um, level. I'm going to submit that to some journals and I want to, I want to get this one published too. That's just, I have to do that. I have to have that sense of, I did a thing and <laughs> so, the turtle club said it was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's a big professional goal for you. I like that. Yeah. You said, uh, you said you're hoping for maybe 20 psychotherapists mm-hmm. to get on there. This, is, this seems like a pretty niche specialty um, in the counseling world or even just healthcare world in, in general. Is is that your assessment of kind of the landscape? Um, I mean, specifically in like Southeast Idaho, I guess, are you like the only one that does sex therapy or are there others? Is there a demand for, for this and a need? That's a great question. Um, we do have some clinicians in in Southeast Idaho, so Idaho Falls, Rexburg. I'm not familiar with Pocatello as much, but um, yeah. that will treat sex addiction. Um, and okay. so where they might call themselves a certified sex addiction therapist. Um, and so just their lens is um, kind of looking at someone's sexual behavior, out of control sexual behavior from the addiction approach. Um, and, and so kind of to back up a little bit, there's four different um, credentialing bodies that when someone says, I want to, I want to treat sexuality concerns as a therapist, there's four different companies that you can kind of go to and say, okay, um, what, what do I need to do? And they'll tell you how many years and and how much supervision and how much, um, you know, requirements that they have. Um, And one of those modalities is a system that Patrick Carnes started, um, um, and he's down in Arizona. And so he will certify people in his um, certified sex addiction approach. And I think we have a handful of, of people in the area that do that. I've been certifying with a different um, approach, a different um, company called the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists. So it's ASECT for short. Okay. Um, so I know of me and then one other lady in Idaho Falls that has certified through ASECT. And so um, there's just a couple of different um, ways to help with sexuality, but even with me and, and Renee, and then, and then our, our sex addiction friends, that's still a handful. And yeah. um, we have a, a, a lot of, a lot of need, I think. Yeah. A massive community to serve. Yep. So what, I guess, zooming out a little bit, what is sex therapy in, in your definition? Let's clear the air. I'm sure there's a lot of like 
misconceptions or like what what the heck's Jeff talking about on this podcast. So yeah, sure. if you wouldn't mind clarifying that and kind of giving sure. your input on just that generalized question. Sure. Yeah. So six therapy is just talk therapy. Um, there's nothing okay. weird. Everyone's <laughs> dressed. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's just specifically, you know, someone comes in and says, I have erectile dysfunction and the doctor says everything's, you know, good, but so there's something psychological or, wow. you know, a woman might come in and say, you know, I can't climax during sex. There's no satisfaction for me. The doctor says there's nothing medically wrong. With me. Um, and so it's just talk therapy talking about how can we, how can we help by having good conversations so that someone has the sex life that's meaningful to them and that aligns with their values. And, um, and so it's, that's the, that's the goal. Yeah. What you kind of hinted on like everyone's clothes, but what do you feel like some common misconceptions or um, bad beliefs, I guess, that people have, what do you, what are some things that you hear frequently? Sometimes I run into people get pretty anxious and they're like, they might um, be suspicious of my motivation. Okay. That, that perhaps it's like, oh, <laughs> if you study sex therapy, you just think it's exciting to hear about people's sex lives. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I guess and, that uh, maybe is true to a degree, but through a different <laughs> lens than they're probably thinking. Right. <laughs> so, so I, I, I have found that I guess I'll speak from personally is that sex therapy is something that I'm interested in because of the value of sexuality. I think it's a really important part of being a human. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at it in the marriage context, just how important it is in a marriage and because it's so important of a subject and it has a lot of meaning, that's why I chose the field. Yeah. You know, um, I really too, I really value trust. And so you know, the clients that are willing to talk to me about sexual dysfunction, sexual fears, and they trust me. And that is a sacred thing. You know, um, I get to, to kind of see these really private parts of people's lives. And that is very meaningful. It's really <laughs> meaningful work. It is. Yeah, yeah. That that's people opening up the most vulnerable part of yeah. them, potentially. Um, I mean, in the hospital, I see people at their lowest, sometimes after a stroke or a heart attack or something like that. But this is kind of a whole different kind of a vulnerable. So mm -hmm. I like that. What, uh, what do you feel like you do to establish trust or what are some methods that you like to do to kind of help gain that trust of your client? Cause I'm sure it can be, there can be a little friction maybe on the first couple of visits. People are typically quite anxious, right? <laughs> yeah. And so they come in and I think they're terrified of a couple of things. I think they're terrified that I'm going to be repulsed by their story or mm. their struggle. And, and so my hope is that they can tell that I'm genuinely not interested in judgment, condemnation. I'm no one's parole officer, right? That, yeah. that um, hopefully they can see quickly is my hope that my reactions are warm and non-judgmental. Um, you know, that I, I want to help and I want um, them to feel like they don't have to guard themselves against judgment. Um, so that's what I try to do. I try to, to convey, Hey, no judgment. You sound normal to me. <laughs> right. Um, and the other thing I try to do is use humor, you know, appropriately. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to laugh the whole hour. Sure. Um, but, but there might be moments of like, okay, that's funny what we just said, right? Yeah. Or that's funny. The metaphor that I just came up with was funny. Um, things like that. that so that we can go, okay, yeah. Yeah, kind of detach it from that, the seriousness or the um, gravity of the situation sometimes. Yeah, I can, that can definitely be helpful. And I, I do love just chatting with counselors in general and, and people in the psychiatry world, because they're usually so, it's so refreshing to um, speak with those people because of the non-judgmental approach oh that gosh. you get. And, and you don't have to be afraid of like saying something or stepping on toes or, or anything. And you know, that 99% of the time you're going to be received with, with love and, and affirmation. So yeah, I love hope. that. Yeah. I love that. So you, you touched on um, a couple like avatars, I guess, like a, a man with ED can't figure out 
um, what's wrong? Doctor said everything's medically okay, or or maybe a female mm-hmm. that is having trouble um, climaxing during sex. Are there other um, typical clients that you see or or issues that that come about? Yeah. So unwanted pornography use is okay. something you know that that I'm happy to to help folks with if I can. And what I say is if I can isn't to say that I'm not capable, but it's to say yeah. if, if they're willing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, I do see that with individuals and couples and um, yeah. And so then we, you know, there's a, a little different approach with couples versus an individual, but um, so you I'll just talk. Maybe, yeah. 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 Um, so maybe with an individual, let's just, just say a man comes in and says, this is against my religious belief, right? Like I keep doing this thing. I keep looking at pornography. Yeah. And I just, I feel hopeless and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to hell, right? This is a mm-hmm. religious client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, what do I do? Right. Um, and what I, what I try to establish first of all is like, okay, let's, let's first just kind of take a step back and let's just have a conversation in a non-judgmental way about, about how. Uh, we can kind of slow down and and kind of figure this out how how we can understand what your emotions are how we can understand um uh what you know what other things you can do to meet your needs identifying your needs um using mindfulness so there's been research out of utah state um and um and uh there's a psychologist in Pocatello, his name is Cameron Staley, who does fantastic work um, with helping people who have unwanted pornography use using mindfulness and a values um, uh, approach. Um, so okay. it's acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. And so I, I've been, I've been doing that and, and helping people that way. And so I don't know if that's answering your question or if I kind of went too far down the. <laughs> yeah, no. What is, what is a mindfulness approach? What does that look like? Yeah. So first of all, just, just starting a daily mindfulness or meditative practice, right? So that can be using an app like stop breathe and think or calm or just something on YouTube, whatever you want. And like, just for a minute, three minutes, whatever you've got just every day where you can slow down and just notice your breathing and just learn about the thoughts you're having and just non-judgmentally learn about yourself and to be still. Cause when we practice being still, that helps with that impulsivity because oftentimes pornography use is this impulsive response to you know, hey, I'm having this these intense emotions and I want to feel better, yeah. right? So with mindfulness, it gives us that space to slow down instead of just going, I'm having an urge, I'm having this feeling, act on it, act on it, right? Yeah. Just gives us a, a little bit of space. Do you, not for like sexual therapy purposes or anything, but do you have your own mindfulness uh, practice that you implement on a daily or semi-regular basis? I do because I have this rule. Nice. <laughs> that if that if I'm asking clients to do a thing, that I have to do the thing too. Yeah. Um, and that. and that doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean I perfected everything that that I that I teach or talk about. But but I feel like you know what? In order to really live congruently, you know, I'm going to do it too. So if I say, hey, you know, journal this or journal that, I've done it. Or if I say, wow. hey, wow. let's try some some meditation thing, that I've practiced it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes if I notice that I, my nervous system is really geared up about an upcoming dentist appointment or something, <laughs> <laughs> my emotions are really big. I think, okay, I can set my timer on my phone for 60 seconds and I can just notice my breathing in just this moment. Yeah. And so I can practice what I'm preaching, you know, that's really powerful. Yeah. I like that a lot. I I'm a big fan of kind of leading from the front, I guess is how I describe it. You know, if I'm asking my patient that's dealing with some chronic low back pain that I want them mm-hmm. to start deadlifting and picking up a, a barbell to strengthen those muscles, mm-hmm. um, then I should, I don't need to be a bodybuilder or like an Olympic athlete necessarily, but I should be able to perform the movement and I should be moving on a regular basis too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote I like by one of the guys in the PT world. And he says, I don't know exactly what it is, but something like people aren't inspired by facts, you know, people are inspired by people. And 
and seeing other people make that change. Like, okay, if Susanna's doing this, if she's done it, had success with it, then maybe I can do it too. So yeah, I love that. I love that. What, um, what about the couples uh, therapy? So you have both, both, uh, both partners come in and is that also uh, a talk session as well, or are there different Mm -hmm. elements to uh, a couples counseling session? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's talk therapy. So if I have a couple come in and let's say um, pornography use is against both of their values, that might be a religious couple. And let's say the, the husband is, is viewing pornography to feel better and that's really impacting their relationship and that's impacting um, her and how she sees herself. You know, we talk about a, a number of things we, we would talk about, Hey, one of the, the things I don't want to do in sessions like that is demonize the husband. Um, number one, that's just not my approach. And number two, you know, he's a person too, and he needs to remember mm. that he has value. And that when we do something against our values, we don't lose value as a human being, right? And so I, I try to say, hey, you know, this is painful. Let's let's compassionately look at this and what you guys can do to connect and to get better as a couple with the understanding that we're not going to just. It's you know, not a yeah, sh- wag the finger at the, the person doing whatever. Yeah, it's the, I think that's an important lens to um go through i could see a lot of couples being hesitant about maybe coming in and like well i'm just going to get blasted this whole session like why what's the value in that right when i remember to to practice humility myself (laughs) I'll, i'll ask someone at the end of the session okay how helpful was this session or is there something i could have done differently um i don't always remember to do that it's a it, it is uncomfortable for me right because if somebody says oh well you talked too much or, <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> you didn't give me a chance to say a thing or you yeah. know then i have to tolerate that discomfort too and and so i try to remember to do that yeah. but that can help that over time that then clients can say okay you know what would help is if during the session you checked up on what we talked about last time so that it's not like dropping the ball, you know what I mean? Like there's this continuing I'm like, okay. And then I'll make a note that that's what, that's what that person needs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, this more general question, I guess, what's like a standard and I'm sure it depends, but what's a standard ratio of like you speaking versus the client or client's that you have speaking um, is it a more of a 50 50 split or 25 you 75 them that's such a great question that let's see maybe it depends let's see i'll have to think out loud because i don't know <laughs> um, yeah yeah hmm. that was the, the favorite answer in pt school was it just it depends everything depends everything <laughs> depends people are so different yeah. i um i think sometimes I guess I have to kind of read the needs of the client because sometimes people are very, you know, anxious. They come in, they don't know me, they don't know how I'm going to respond. They've got all these things in their mind. So they're just going to have what we call pressured speech, which is just anxiety and you're talking fast. <laughs> so I might just, I, you know, I just, I get it. So I just nod, you know, for a little while. And then, um, you know, and then I might start, well, not might, but then I'll start to say, okay, you know, and, and, and do some talking. Sometimes people just have to get all that pressure out. They've been waiting, they've been mm-hmm. trying to find a therapist they've been trying waiting on insurance or something and it's like yeah. ah. um there there are other times when someone is um maybe too guarded and then that means that they need to feel safe enough to come out and maybe talk about what, what's going on for them in that moment so i just think it depends on their need you know yeah yeah absolutely what um what do you feel like is the biggest benefit for a couple coming to um to you in sex therapy or or what do you feel like is the biggest transformation that that people get maybe not even couples that Mm. that people get just from um working with a sex therapist Mm. i my hope is that they would feel relief 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 and hope that they would go okay i'm i'm a human i'm normal um i can talk about I can talk about stuff that's really personal. No one's shocked. No one's judging me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have hope that now that I've talked about this thing that I was really embarrassed about that, that, okay, maybe, maybe it's not as big as I thought. 
Um, so yeah, hope and relief. That's what, that's the most rewarding part is when someone leaves and goes, this is why I come. This yeah. is why I come. I feel better. Like, woohoo. Yeah. If yeah. they, if they can express that they feel relieved that they've spoken with you, then that's, that's the biggest win for me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. On the flip side, what are the, some of the challenges, I guess, that you really encounter um, dealing with, you know, I, I think you mentioned you don't work too much with abuse or you do see clients that have encountered abuse situations. I see a lot of that. Yeah. I see a lot of that, unfortunately. Okay. Um, yeah. So difficulties, let's see, let's see. Um, one of the difficulties might be, um, so I, I say this, okay, I'll just say it and then try to explain it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if, you're, if I have a couple come in and they're just constantly fighting, that that's difficult, but yet it's my job to kind of lead that session better and learn how to validate and kind of metaphysically hold you know, yeah. um, each person and kind of, you know, validate that there's reasons why they're upset and validate that there's needs underneath there. And let's try something different other than criticism. And what's challenging about that is that takes a lot of emotional labor on my yeah. part. And Very. so I'm willing to do it. I chose the fields, but that can be tricky. That can be a, a tricky thing because I don't want to shut someone down, but I also want to remind them like couples therapy can't be, we come in and then we just lambast our partner and Susanna just lets it happen. Right. I don't, I don't want that. Um, and then as far as like dif difficulty with like sexuality and sex therapy specifically, um, I think, I think fear of judgment is, is hard for people, right? They're kind of not sure um, what I'm going to, how I'm going to respond. And they might test the waters and say, so <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this such and such thing? You know? And yeah. I, I, I say all the time, no judgment, no judgment, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that can be a challenge for them is just that anxiety and that real fear of, of me you're having a reaction because they've had that reaction from people maybe, yeah. or they're just afraid of it. Yeah. Getting judged. If mm -hmm. we, we talked about kind of being um, mindful or implementing a mindfulness mm -hmm. routine. And so mm -hmm. I frequently give like home exercise programs to my clients and my patients so that they can be working on things outside of our sessions. Are there other uh, tools or, or routines that you ask um, mm. patients to implement on their off days when they're not coming to work with you so that they can kind of continue to make progress or, or, um, work on things. Yeah, certainly. And, and that's ideal. And, and so I do try to do that. Sometimes there's so much that's going on in the session and our time is up and there's someone else waiting. And so it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> See you next I, time. Didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't manage the time to say, okay, let's slow down. Let's figure out what, um, what would be helpful. Yeah. Um, but when I can, I do want to, at the end of the session say, okay, we've talked about this, this, and this, what do you think would be helpful for you to do between now and when we meet next? So I like it when, when homework, um, is, yeah. is collaborative because if it's just me saying, go do the thing, um, I don't know. Sometimes there's barriers that haven't been talked about if it's just me telling them to do a thing. Um, but that being said, sometimes I say do a thing. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. What do, do you have any specific examples of those things? So one thing that's a really common intervention for sex therapists is something called sensate focus. So okay. sensate focus is, is uh, a mindfulness exercise. Nice. Um, so we'll give you a brief example of what that might look like. So, um, well, let me, let me back up just a hair to kind of give it some context. So, yeah. so let's say someone is really anxious and maybe really distractible. So maybe we have a person that's got ADHD and anxiety. Um, yeah. and so that makes sex difficult because they're distracted yeah. <laughs> and they're worried. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to have a really enjoyable sexual experience if you're worried and distracted. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, 
And so um, a, a, a really common um, sensate focus exercise would be, you know, the therapist would say, okay, so you're going to do this touching exercise. And the purpose of it is, is a mindfulness touching exercise. So it's not sex, it's different than sex. So okay. what it is, is you're each going to take, each partner is going to take 15 minutes to touch the other partner with the intent of just noticing the temperature the texture and the pressure of your partner's skin. Okay. Right. So, so, you know, if this hand is <laughs> the touching partner and this is the touched partner, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, you know, someone's going to be touching and then going, Oh, see, like, what are the kids doing? Oh, okay. Temperature, texture, pressure. What are we having for dinner? And why do we never have a dinner plan? Oh, yeah. texture. Right. <laughs> and so it's, huh. it's, it's, it's practicing bringing your attention back to the sense, the senses, Interesting. Um, practicing that. And, and that separates from a sexual encounter. It's practicing the skill that you're eventually going to use in a sexual encounter, mm-hmm. right? as opposed to someone who's anxious and distractible during a sexual encounter to be like, you know, again, what are we going to have for dinner? And oh, yeah, that <laughs> reminds me, and I, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah. that's not a very connected experience if we're worried about a thousand things. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a scaled or modified or bridged version of, mm-hmm. uh, of what you're eventually going to be doing in the heat of the moment, but kind of practicing that throughout the day or every day or something like that. Wow. Yeah, just these 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you'll have different stages of sensate focus. You'll have just arms and legs or, okay. and then you'll add, you know, more erogenous, you know, parts yeah. genitals and breasts and things after but it, the the point is to not have any pressure about sex it's just bringing your attention back to temperature texture and pressure are they verbalizing like as they um do the activity or is that kind of just uh are they thinking about it or maybe it depends on again on each person's preference I, I, ideally it's more of a quiet okay thing um but it's not a problem for the touched person to give a little feedback. Yeah. Um, but, but it, ideally it's supposed to be kind of just more of a, just a quiet, you know, non, non-pressured um, yeah. exercise. Yeah. yeah. That sounds kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. I imagine uh, uh, maybe some of the time zooming back out a little bit, couples feel like disconnected from each other when they come to see you. Are you ever recommending like um, not date ideas necessarily, but things that they can do together to reconnect or like activities, things like that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Depending on the need. Right. So, so sometimes um, couples need to implement uh, play, play together. Right. Like, Hmm. um, yeah. Um, Play that's not sexual and sexual play. Right. Um, So that, um, life is fun, right? Because, you know, if you think about just kind of your normal family life, it's kids and appointments and work and yeah. financial stress and, you know, snow and Idaho Falls and <laughs> all these, <laughs> Terrific, all yeah. these things. Yeah. And, and couples sometimes forget to play. And so then we'll talk about like, okay, let's talk about how you can really make time together a priority. You're putting it on, you know, like, for example, some couples will share a calendar, like a Google calendar where they're scheduling, okay, date night every yeah. week and we're going to play and, um, and scheduling sex, which sounds unsexy, but it's, a very, <laughs> but it's a very common suggestion by a sex therapist or sex educator, because if we put something on the calendar and it's something we look forward to, we put effort into it. Right. So like if, if someone, you know, you say to your sweetheart, let's go out to dinner. And you decide to go to the sandpiper or something fancy, right? You're gonna you're gonna do your hair, you're gonna do your makeup, you're gonna yeah. wear your nice clothes, you're gonna, right? You're gonna think about it, you're gonna look forward to it. And and so scheduling sex can be like that too. Like, is this something we can put on the calendar and plan and look hmm. forward to it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool way to reframe that. You get kind of that built-in anticipation of like uh similar to maybe a vacation that's coming up or something like that what are some like not couple related necessarily but some advice that you could just give just on 
trying to connect better with those that you care about in your life. Um, could be family members, could be friends, but do you have any just like general advice for people that feel like they're having a, a hard time connecting with people that they care about in their life? Sure. I, something I see that's really common is that we aren't fully present a lot of times as a culture with people we say we care about. Right. Yeah. So if someone's like talking to me and I really, and I say, I really care about them, but I'm on my phone. I'm like, mm-hmm, <sighs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, they don't feel cared about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the simplest things sometimes can make such a big impact. Um, let's just put our phone down. If our kid wants to talk to us about Minecraft, let's just put yeah. our phone down when our spouse says, uh, Oh my gosh, did you see this thing on, on Instagram, or let's put our phone down and, and give them our full attention. Um, because that does a lot. People need attention, not because they're like some self-centered narcissist, (laughs) but because humans just need it. I mean, that's, I'm a professional listener, right? People are saying, Susanna, I will, I'll be on your wait list or I'll, you know, wait for my insurance company to (laughs) credential (laughs) with you or whatever, just so that I can have someone listen to me. And so there's a real need for people just to feel loved in that way. Like let's pay attention. Yeah. So just kind of focus on mm-hmm. being present in the mm-hmm. moment and I don't know, maybe focusing on different things you're experiencing in that moment, similar to the, uh, the exercise that you just talked about with the, the touching and everything. Yeah. A couple just broader questions to wrap up. Okay. The, uh, the love languages, how do you feel about those? Are they, valid are they limiting and too Hmm. narrow and focused or do you feel like they're a good tool for people to use and kind of um, respond to their partner's uh, love language effectively Hmm. i like the principle of it i mean i'm not i'm neutral i'm switzerland like i okay (laughs) no strong opinion either way (laughs) sometimes i've i've heard you know i've heard criticisms and someone saying well that's not research based and i've heard other people say this is the best thing in the world right and and i just think hey if it helps you cool you know um and and i think you know learning how your partner feels loved it may be something that's not kind of listed in in the love languages you Mm -hmm. know modality um but just learning how they feel love i think is a great principle yeah yeah Yeah, i like that i think i personally have found benefit from it just kind of learning about it myself and and kind of what to expect or what i need to do more of Um, words of affirmation are challenging for me sometimes and so getting myself to um make sure the other person feels appreciated through my words and and actions that can be that can be a hurdle sometimes but i'm i'm working on it <laughs> and you know you bring up a great point when we're in a relationship it makes us grow yeah right because so often our partner kind of pushes on the things that make us uncomfortable it's something they need right and it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> so i think i think that's good it's good for us to kind of say oh dang it i got to grow in this way yeah. like, what what are your thoughts on people that say like oh people can't change like you can't change this behavior you're always going to revert back to what's the default or what is comfortable for you i'm a touchy-feely social worker so i believe that (laughs) (laughs) i believe people can change i've i've seen in my work people give up meth and people um get treatment for being a domestic violence offender and going, Oh, I want to live my life differently now. Right. And like, so, I mean, I I've seen it with my own eyes, just really kind of amazing people um, who have really turned their life around through a lot of hard work, a lot Mm -hmm. of hard work. And so I think all you need is willingness. All we need is willingness. And sometimes it's this much, right? Like (laughs) I'm willing to do this. (laughs) Sometimes. You know, we have this much, but this much is something, this much is something. And we can choose that willingness is a choice. Yeah. Being able to, even if it's, you can't make that full change yet, but being willing to kind of commit to the process and, and start on that journey of the, the behavioral change. Yeah. That's a big deal. And be willing to do it imperfectly. You know, a lot of times really anxious people are like, okay, Susanna, I can't, I can't do the thing you're asking because how would I do it perfectly? And I'm like, I hear that. I hear that. 
you're going to have to do this imperfectly. <laughs> imperfect, yeah. imperfect action. What, what about um, John Gottman? I, I noticed him on your website as well. I've got his book right over here, The Relationship Cure. Um, yeah. I haven't quite read through it yet, but heard a lot of good things about him. What's, um, does he have a method or like what, what um, philosophies does he believe in? That's a great question. John, the Gottman, so it's, so John and his wife, Julie, they're both psychologists and um, a lot of his work has been on the research end. And, and so he does a fantastic job. Well, they both do. They do this together. Um, They're a great team, but they do a fantastic job with training people in their method. Um, And I would say they've, they've, through their research and their clinical experience, they've, they've conceptualized relationships in the, in a house, right? So you have like the walls that hold, hold up the relationship and then like the floors of the house. Um, and so that's really helpful. So people can kind of see, okay, you know, we have trust and commitment that are holding up the relationship house. We have friendship on as a, as a foundation. Um, and so I am a fan of the Gottmans. They, they have a lot of, um, you know, interventions where, you know, if a couple comes in and they're doing a thing, the Gottmans do a really good job of training therapists to say, okay, if, if a couple has a thing, here's the thing that helps them with the thing based on our research. <laughs> oh, okay. More of a, a framework. <laughs> yes. Not that it's like a cookie cutter approach necessarily. Nothing in therapy usually is, but gives you a general idea of this is the intervention that seems to help yes. XYZ problem. Okay. Hmm. Yes. I mean, at least on the clinician side of things, it kind of simplifies your yes. thought process sometimes rather than just trying to grasp at straws and, and uh, right. shoot in the dark. So there's a lot of, there's so many modalities. There's so many ways of being a therapist. I mean, I think one time I read it was like 127 ways of doing therapy. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if someone actually counted that or what, but, um, <laughs> um, but there is, you know, there's, there's solution focused where the, fo- where the focus is on, okay, how are we going to solve this going forward with the best parts of you? There's emotionally focused therapy that it's about attachment and connection because of, you know, uh, attachment and, and, and emotions and understanding and compassion. And, um, and there's differentiation, meaning we're two separate people who have separate interests and we're going to soothe ourselves, but we're going to connect because we have our own solid sense of who we are. And so there's all these different modalities and a lot of these really amazing, you know, brains and people that have created these, some of them were friends, you know, the Gottmans were friends with Sue Johnson and, yeah. um, and things. And so that's, it's just there's a lot to choose from how to help people is there a philosophy or modality that you really subscribe to in your um therapy sessions or is it kind of a blend of a couple different ones probably have a a handful of my favorites i love solution focused although i don't use it exclusively i love it because it helps people have hope Right. If they're like, oh, yeah, I remember I, I I did this one thing this one time and wow, I really overcame that. How did I overcome? Wow, (laughs) that's amazing. Right. And so there's a lot of hope in that modality. So I love that one. Um, I do. I do use the Gottman method. Um, I've done some training in that. Yeah. Um, and I do also appreciate and value the emotional focused method. Um, so I use that somewhat. What does that entail? Um, and so what does that entail? It entails um, couples being able to ask for what they need without criticism. So like I'm doing this gesture in the air, meaning <laughs> there's underlying emotions. Okay. Right. Um, for example, you know, if someone's angry, you know, maybe figuring out that they're really hurt and yeah. that they can ask for understanding as opposed to using anger. So the, so getting to those underlying emotions and sharing vulnerable moments with each other to have this emotionally connective and corrective experience of like, Oh, I didn't realize that, you know, you were hurt when I said the thing and yeah. oh, sorry, honey, right. Having these, these connecting corrective moments. Um, so there's really value in that approach. I like that a lot. It's so powerful when you kind of <clears throat> get a different, perspective on the situation and 
you maybe walk through it together and you're like, wow, I had no idea that you were seeing that how I said this was really affecting you in that way. And there's got to be willingness Mm -hmm. because what what you don't want is, you know, when partner gets really psychologically naked, I mean, (laughs) scary to be psychologically naked. Get psychologically naked and and is teary and is saying, "Gosh, this really hurt." And and what you don't want is the other partner being like, "Oh, an opportunity to strike," because I've been mad for thirty years. Yeah. Um. And so and so, there's got to be willingness, even a little tiny bit, with partners to say, "Am I willing to be compassionate to my partner, even though they've hurt me too?" Yeah. That is hard. It's hard to do. That is. It is hard to do. Yeah. I think we could talk about that for a long time. I really like that. Um, but just to just to wrap up with the last okay. couple of questions, Susanna, is there anything you wish people knew more about sex therapy or, or counseling in general? Mm. I wish that people felt like they didn't. Let's see. How do I want to phrase this? That That going to sex therapy doesn't mean that there's like something inherently wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to have this meaning about, about who you are, that you're somehow uh, sicker than someone else or something that no um, sex therapy can sometimes be as, as simple as, you know, um, maybe the sexual relationship just isn't as ideal as it used to be. And so, you know, what can we do to navigate a relationship and kind of figure out how to make this better? It doesn't have to be this big, um, I don't know, like scary thing. You don't have to wait till you're like about to divorce your wife because the sexual tension is so high. You can be more proactive about it, I guess, and, and continue to improve on relationships. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to be ashamed. Yeah. You know, okay. you don't have to be ashamed because if you think about how important sex is in a marriage and, and two, you know, there's a lot of religious beliefs that are very sex positive. Religion gets a bad rap sometimes. And like, yeah. um, you know, sometimes there's a lot of criticism about, well, religion did this to sexuality. And I'm like, well, there's some really great things too, about the, the positives in religious beliefs of all kinds of religious beliefs about the meaning of sexuality and the, and the connection and the sacredness that it can be for a couple. And so if it's not super ideal, there's nothing shaming about going and talking to someone about it, you know, and just saying, Hey, you know, let's talk to somebody that is going to respect our values and that's going to be non-judgmental and we can kind of figure this out and make it better as opposed to just kind of, you know, maybe being, feeling ashamed maybe about it yeah that's a good way to put that you kind of maybe touched on this um in in your last answer but if people are hesitant to reach out or see if this could benefit them do you have any advice for people that might not quite be comfortable taking the jump to give you a phone call or reach out via email or something sure sure gosh there's so many resources. I, I'm only hesitating because I think, gosh, I should, maybe I should write them up and <laughs> send them to you. You can put them, put them on, on some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the footnotes, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many blogs, podcasts, audiobooks, um, and you can find stuff that's maybe, you know, fits within your religious framework and things that don't. Um, that if you're not, maybe you're not a religious person and you're like, I don't, that's not my jam. Well, yeah. there's all kinds of, of outstanding books that can really help with learning. Um, you know, there's one book called Come As You Are by Emily, Emily Nagowski, and that's a very popular, popular book. And so that's a, what she's done is she's taken science and she boils it down and, and it gives it to you in a really fun way. Yeah. Um, and so like, that would be one resource. Um, and so, yeah, look for podcasts, look for um, audiobooks, and and just learn on your own if you're if you're either not comfortable or maybe you don't have insurance coverage or maybe yeah, you know, yeah. this is a struggle. That there's there's a lot of people out there that that I think could help at least just learning from them that way. Okay, yeah, just a a learning experience. Just get that ball rolling, kind of start start somewhere. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Well, Susanna, this has been uh, a really fun conversation. I, yeah. I appreciate you coming on here. If if people want to reach out 
or connect with you on social media or um, just through your website, what is the best way for them to do that? You know, email's best right now, just because I'm spending a lot of time still kind of getting my my business going with um, with things, and yeah. I'll be I'll be better at being on social media here as soon as I <laughs> get everything solidified. But yeah, so my my email is uh, Susanna at OliveBranchCounselingIdaho.com, and my name is spelled S U S A N N A H. Perfect. At Olive Branch Counseling Idaho. Yeah. So even if someone's like, hey, you know, I maybe don't have time for therapy or I don't have insurance right now or I something, you know, what books do you recommend? Yeah, I'd be happy yeah. to say. Send you an email. <laughs> hey, awesome. You're a great resource. I forgot to ask, by the way, what what does Olive Branch um mean or why did you choose that name for your business? I chose it because of my own spiritual um, relationship with my higher power. I want to remind myself that I'm not actually the, the person that heals ah. and that it's not the Susanna show. And, um, and so it's a good reminder for me to kind of go, okay, you know, there's a purpose in what I'm doing and um, just kind of remember my place, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> why, uh, why olive as opposed to like a, I don't know, a cherry blossom branch or something though. Right. Yeah. Um, I see the the olive branches representing um Jesus Christ. Okay. And my own personal yeah, and where, you know, the symbolism of, you know, the the olive, the olive press, um, and uh the healing that that, that um can represent. Um and that being said, you don't have to be a religious person to be my client. I know I bring up religion a lot. It's yeah. I do see religious clients and work well with them. They don't have to be of my faith. Um I don't bring religion in the room if it's not what the client wants. That's not ethical. Yeah. Um, but it is where I'm at. And so gotcha. that just kind of being honest about where I'm at, but I am very respectful if it's not where someone else is at. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Well, thanks, Suzanne. I'll get all that information published in the in the footnotes of the podcast when um, that goes live. And hey. um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll chat in Perfect. the next episode. Thank you. That was so fun. Thank you. <laughs> hey, everybody. I just want to say thank you for listening to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss out on any of these great episodes. If you haven't left me a review yet, that would mean the world to me so I can implement any of your feedback that you have for me. And if you feel compelled to do so, share this out with more people because my goal is to connect with and help as many people as possible in our community. And finally, if you have any ideas for future episodes or suggestions on guests I should interview, please shoot me a message because I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again and until next time.